Hello, and welcome to Growing the Top Line, a podcast where I interview leading executives and CEOs to get their perspectives on growth strategy. My name is Cliff Farah, President and CEO of The Beacon Group, a growth strategy consulting firm. Join us as we dig deeper into the process of, well, growing the top line. Hey, Don, welcome. Thank you so much for uh, doing this today. I feel like I don't get to see you as much as I want to and and, uh, appreciate the chance to do this with you. For those of you who don't know uh, Don, Don is, uh, you know, in my experience, sort of an icon in the services world. He currently serves as global CEO of Investus Digital, where he's been leading the company on its global uh, growth trajectory. Uh, He's been with, uh, how long have you been with him, Don? Four and a half years. Four and a half years. So Don and I, uh, Don's somebody I've been lucky enough to have in my life as both a mentor and uh, a board member uh, for Beacon for quite a while. So uh, thanks for doing that, Don. Um, but I wanted to talk to you today about sort of growth strategy and your, and your thinking about it. And I, I've got some questions that I wanted to walk through and kind of get your take on and uh, just hear your stories, right? Get, get, get a little bit of insight on how you think about growth. So let's just, let's just start at the goal setting phase. How do you, how do you decide the goals that you're going to focus on for your company right now? What, what, what's the process there? Well, right now where, you know, when you're at the stage of growth that we are, which is still in the, we're owned by private equity. Um, you know, you, you have your company goals tend to be, if you will, dictated to a certain degree by shareholders there. And so it, you know they want to they want to maximize their investment. So you start with sort of what what their expectations are, and then you start building off of that. So if if you know they want to get out in two and a half years, and they want you to double in size and those kinds of things, and that gives you some parameters to start working from. And from there, then you start then you start building building the plans. So it really, for my any time for me, it's always been you know what are what are the shareholders looking for? So what about what? Are, so you know when we when you and I met, you were leading the the industry vertical consulting for AT Kearney, right? All, all industry verticals reported up to you. What was the difference there versus now? So private equity versus uh, corporate entity. Uh, well, I think the difference now is uh, private equity tends to be, um, this is this is not necessarily always the truth, but private equity tends to be a little bit more financially driven. And they, from the standpoint of running the company, they stay out of your hair for the most part. And as long as you're delivering Delivering, then you're you're in pretty good shape. That wasn't the same way with AT Carney or, for that matter, EDS. You know, uh, and I don't think EDS was fine. No, EDS wasn't prepared for AT Carney, and those two cultures just never were going to meet. But at the same time, you know, you have you have a little bit more flexibility uh, in doing what you want to do with private equity because uh, you don't have to go through all the layers and all that type of stuff. Okay, fair. What are the uh, kinds of goals that you have? You have Revenue goals? Yes. Growth goals? I have revenue goals, profit goals, client satisfaction goals, uh, even employee satisfaction goals. Okay. And then um, what kind of time frame do you usually do your growth planning around? Well, and you've been in the services business a long time. So if you I have indeed. Uh, so you can put, you can sort of kid yourself a bit thinking you can do long range planning, which is five or more years. But then at the end of the day, the service 
versus business changes so fast and it, what your best thinking could change next week you can put a three-year plan together that's probably you're doing you're doing well if you can put it together in such a way that I'd like to be here in three years and that's kind of what we've done here I have some very aspirational goals for five years out but I, I I'm not putting detailed plans underneath that because I just know Things are going to change. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. Hey, do me a favor. Just spend spend a couple of minutes and and tell people what Investus is about. Our heritage is in investor relations. So we used to help uh, with IROs, investor relation officers. We build the IR websites. We put the tools and feeds on there so you could get stock price tickers and all that kind of stuff. Ultimately, we've evolved now to where we're working with a lot of digital chief communication officers. And so we're a digital communication company now. So now it's really making sure that who, whatever the folks that we're working with, they can get to their audiences. So it could be, we'll build a regular website, we'll build the IR website. We actually build career sites where we help HR departments get to, to new recruits. Uh, we just helped a life sciences company be able to pull in patients into their new clinical trials. So it's evolved. It's, it really is all about uh, communications. And so, you know, and we can offer a full range of services now since we did a couple acquisitions. And so now we have the ability to be able to say, you know, you want to a good example is this life sciences company. This was a brand new one for us. And we said they they go through the, the traditional way of finding patients. And we said, we have a different approach. What if we build a website, we put technical content working with you on the site, we use our SEO practices by which to draw attract audiences and we can get the job done and get the audiences to you in half the time and a whole lot less cost. And that's exactly the way it played out. So that's kind of what we do now. It's It really is all about what we call connected content. So you all do uh, like your revenues come from project-based work or hourly billing or? 65% of our work is recurring revenue. So we we host all our websites. Uh, we have a high degree of recurring revenue. Uh, and and then even, even on the SEO and performance marketing side, a lot of those are recurring contracts. So really only a, if you look at our project-based work, it's less than 15% of our total business. And how big are you guys We're in the in the market? Where do, what's your rank in the market? Well, you know, that's one of the, the challenges that we have. So in fact, I, I probably should give you a copy of a report where they say, we're so unique in the marketplace. We sit in about three different markets. So there's nobody, there's no head-on competitor. If you're trying to build a full connected content suite that we have, there's no competition. Unless you really step it up and go high, like to a Deloitte or an Accenture or somebody yep. like that that has a lot of the same services, they don't package them up the same way we do. So, all right. So, Don, tell me the creature that you ask to build growth strategies in, in your experience. You know, I've been in this business a long time and I found it the whole idea about growth, which is hiring more people. Right. If I could bring in billable hours, then I'm that's the way it should be. And so you right. go out. You go hire 10 people and then business falls off and you let go of nine of them. But over time, you know, I've gotten to a point. So I, I never try to hire in front of the curve. And I don't think about growth being like, I got to go hire people. I think about markets or for me personally, I think about products that I think solutions that I need to bring to my client. So that's how I I think about growth is, is really more product. 
for I use this example. I don't think in the services business, uh, I don't look at it from the standpoint of geographies as being a key factor to me. If you told me, Don, do you want to put an office in Buenos Aires? Right. I'd say no. But if you told me, Don, here's a company that has exactly uh, a capability that fits onto your platform that will allow your clients to do this, and oh, by the way, they're in Buenos Aires, then I'll go buy them. So what I'm trying to get to is, you know, like you get your goals, you pass your goals down to your teams to go build their strategy. Well, practice I'm, most of my goals are financial goals. So in a small company like us, I'm sort of the chief strategist too. So if I know I got a double in three years, then the fact then then it comes down to okay, what's the what's the best path for me to go grow and double in three years? I'm not going to be able to do it organically for the most part. Sure. I can get some some of the way there. So I look to acquisitions a lot from the standpoint of that's how I'm going to build out and get those growth rates. When you're building your plan, do you involve any functional leadership? from your organization? The whole management team for the most part. I mean, I get input from them all. There's a small group like myself, the CFO, my chief technology officer. There's a small group that sort of center the whole thing, but then I get input from everyone uh, because I don't know, I, I'm not as close to some of these technical areas or, or markets that some of these other folks are, but I, I get a lot of input. Keep it fairly tight at the executive level as far as just so we can get something done. Think about now back when you were, you know, at EDS or Carney or ADL, yeah? No, it wasn't ADL yeah. the where you cut your teeth after Harvard, right? Back then, back then, it was uh, when I started ADL. I'm dating myself here, but when I started ADL, it was uh, it was as big as Booz Allen. Now it doesn't even exist. It exists, but in a shadow of his former self. <laughs> so, I mean, dating yourself, you've got six point six two nine million uh, miles. Five years old now, or something. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, think back to those days and and think about when in your career you got involved, you got asked to be responsible for, you know, the planning of of your practice area or your team or your line of business. What, what, where were you at that point? You, you came from engineering. Then I went to business school and then I got into consulting. At Arthur D. Little, um, you know, I was sort of a sole contributor for, uh, for a while. At some point, uh, I got into uh, aerospace and defense, and I led the aerospace practice there. So I, there was some planning that had to go into that. Uh, and then from then, I was leading practices along the way, as you know, at EDS. And, you know, I attribute a lot of this to um, your close friend, Maester. I mean, I, I was really into his books. I read his books. There's a lot of ways that if you just, you know, if you just read his books and adhere to the principles, you'll you'll get it you'll get it sorted out for we're doing okay. Yeah, that's 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 truth. Also, uh, you just published a book, right? Yes. Tell, tell me about that a little bit. I really wanted to be about a values-driven approach because I didn't want to just talk about, you know, let's count billable hours and here's how you figure out billing rates and all this kind of stuff. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to talk about what do you see in successful companies. And so I, that, it started to be about how do you lead a, a values-driven professional services company? And, um, you know, I was happy with it. It turned out, and now the second book's being worked on, and it's really about how to do a values-driven and M&A work. So it's, it's really a, a book around acquisitions. That's great. 
Um, talk to me about the role of values in growth planning. Everybody has to understand what your what your value sets are because as you grow, uh, it's easy to deviate or stray from how what your what your company values are. You you may want to get into a particular well, a good example would be let's say you may want to get into CPD stuff, and maybe your values are you know you you want to keep it a little bit more ethical than that or whatever it might be. People have to know what you stand for and what you what's important to you. And if then once everybody understands that and it sort of permeates through the culture and then you take care of clients and everybody knows what that means, then then I think you do a lot better job of being focused in your planning because everybody knows you're going to keep it within within the bounds, if you will. So making sure that the company is sort of self-aware on on value. You know, when I think about values, half of half of my my game book came from you uh, at some point in my career working with you. But I feel as though, you know, values for me are I'm I'm very boundary driven. I have inviolable values, right? Like the things I will not allow us to deviate from at all. But then I've got an awful lot of flexibility beyond those, right? And and one of the great joys for me with Beacon is, you know, as a firm, when I was starting this thing, uh, when I think about my hopes and aspirations versus where we are now, you know, blown way away from what I had set out to do initially. But I feel as though the those core values growth focused, right? We're gonna be we're gonna be all about helping clients grow the top line and not really cost focused. That feels to me to be have been consistent. And you've done an amazing job of adhering to that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's been a good ride. But I guess like the self-awareness is something we talk about in this book. And, you know, as you think about how to go to market, we talk about, you know, having clear goals and the need for that. And then we talk about knowing the creature you are, what you're capable of, what you're not capable of, and then the resourcing you have to go think about growth. So it's one thing to say, I'm going to be acquisitive, but if you can't afford the company, it's a waste of time. Like, why bother? Why bother right. thinking about that? That's that's all a, a phase, and I, I think that sounds consistent with how you've approached it in the past. Then we shift gears and we worry about like understanding, you know, the wants and needs in 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 the customer community, and and it feels like you all, given your business model and your footprint in the three areas, are are probably pretty capable of doing that. Yeah, that we have, uh, you know, for a company our size, we have 2,000 clients. And on a global basis, that's a lot of clients. And so yeah. uh, I think we do, look, we have our issues, we have our churn, but I think we do a pretty good job of taking care of our clients. And because we have a high degree of recurring revenue, our revenue is very sticky. So unless we really mess it up, uh, you know, clients usually are a little bit more uh, understanding uh, with us and, and we have long-term relations. I'd love to show you, I'll send it to you, maybe you can, there's a cohort chart that I have of clients over the last uh, 15, 20 years of, of the company. And you will never see a cohort chart like this because every year since we started, they have been, no year has gone down. I mean, it's just straight lines all the way across. You know, they go up and down like that. We got we have clients who were, who've been with us for 15 years and they keep coming. So it's an amazing company in that regard. That's great. Talk to me about when you say no uh, to opportunities. How do you know to say no? 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's a, a number of different things. I mean, you know, after a while you've been in this space and if somebody comes in with some harebrained idea, you, you kind of know right off the bat that it's a harebrained idea. But the ones that are on the line are the ones you have to be you have to really think about like, you know, you get projects all the time to come in. Oh, Don, we should invest in this project. It's a new client. We can build this client, but we got to take the first project at a 20% margin uh, instead of our normal margins. We got to invest a little bit, right? This will be a million dollar client in six months. Those are the ones you got to really look at because those probably deserve a no, but occasionally you find one that's worthwhile. And then there's all, and on the acquisition side, you always find these companies that look like they're growing like a weed. It looks like it could be a, a, a really nice acquisition, but then you get inside of it, you know, the, the, the CEO's a jerk or there's something that just doesn't feel right. Through experience, you just got to say, it's it life's too short. It's not worth it. Move on. I agree. Talk to me about how you know, and so it's interesting. So you're this blend of the software layer, the services world, recurring revenue streams, some project-based revenues. And I, and I know in your career, you, you know, markets have evolved. Consumption-based models were not common when we were coming up. Exactly. So talk, talk to me about this, how you think about how it's different and, you know, you're doing it now. So how do you wrap your head around this challenge of a recurring revenue stream model? What are the attributes of a good model for you in that domain? You know, well, like you said, everything's changed. So when I first started working, there was no such thing as recurring revenue. I mean, Arthur D. Little, everything was a project base. And the only way you survived, and, and, and you're you're probably the exception to this rule, but, every, but the only way you survived it come lay Arthur D. Little, the advice I got from a senior guy was, Don, if you're going to survive in this business, you got to remake yourself a couple of different times. So I went from a, a organic chemistry expert over to uh, Arthur D. Little to the next thing I know, I was working on the B-2 bomber and doing aerospace work, you know? So right. you just kept, and then I went to doing operational stuff. And yep. and if you bounce around enough back in those days, you could probably make a decent career of it and you could be happy. You know, then software got big and the recurring started coming in. And now in this business, that's what they value. They want to have, the markets want to value predictable revenue streams. And so now the focus is on, well, how much of your revenue is recurring? So how much can I take the risk out of and know right, right. up front that it's going to be there? And then how much do you have to go pound the pavement and find every year? And the more you have to find now, it's, that takes your price down if you have to go do everything right. by price. You know, that's another thing you learn over time. I mean, clearly, if you can, if you can get into a recurring company that has a high degree of recurring revenue, life's a lot easier in many ways. But that that's how it's changed a lot. And another thing has changed is, you know this, Cliff, is that well, at least when I started, there was no such thing as having a services business be part of a software company. Those two were still separate. And yeah. then you saw people like Oracle and other, other software come try to start getting into the services business. And they found out there was lots of money to be made in services and implementation. And I think in some ways that kind of started the ball rolling towards kind of where we are today in, in many ways. You know, it's funny that that comes up over and over for me, uh, this notion of how do you how do you become uh, how do you go from a product centric mentality? Well, two things right now. It's like, how do I get into an 
a consumption-based as a service model. And then it's, hey, I've, I've given away uh, this capability for so long. Now I want to start charging for it. How, how have you seen that successfully transition? Oracle is a great example. Microsoft's an example. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think what I saw uh, at Oracle, for instance, was, uh, you know, a lot of software companies who got into the services business and, and for that matter, uh, even, well, I, don't, I wouldn't say EDS so much, but I'll give you another example. Like, yeah. My other company that I left from, iCrossing, got bought by Hearst. Another perfect example. This is like Oracle starting a service. They looked at services as a loss leader that, that was going to open the door. If we give away enough services, they'll buy more software or right. they'll buy more magazines. And you as a head of a consulting firm or me, we didn't get in the business to be a loss leader. And, and so it just, it's, it's a cultural change. And so there was a big conflict for a number of years at places like Oracle till they figured out that they can make as much or more money on services than they could on software. And then it, it got to a place where it was sort of a, a marriage because then they were kind of equal partners, right? Yeah. Like the publishing industry hasn't figured that out yet. Hearst is still trying to use iCrossing as sort of a lead-in to selling more magazines or newspaper. Well, that's not going to happen anymore. So I think that's that's really where I think it is, is you have to realize it may be a services business. You may or may not like services, but you can make a lot of money at it if you do it. Don, talk to me about market timing. So you you think in terms of uh, solutions you're going to bring to market and get a recurring revenue stream from, right? Now, in the services and software world, our development cycles are much faster, right? So, you know, your hardware, you could have a you know 20-year development cycle for a hypersonic cruise missile, right? But you might, you know, you might get in the software world where you have a three year, right? What's Bill Gates quote, right? I'm going to be obsolete in three years. The question is whether it's me or someone else. Uh, services world where we're limited by the speed of a synapse. Uh, can we can we come up with something new and uh, write it down on a piece of paper and sell it as a good idea and, and make, make money for it? How do you know when to double down? The short answer is I don't know if you really ever really know for a definitive 100%. A yep. good example was when I was at uh, agency.com, and this was back in uh, late 90s, 2000, right before the dot-com bust. They doubled down and spent a ton of money on a digital TV studio in the Netherlands. And they said, oh, digital TV is the next thing. We just know it's there. Right. We're going to get out in front of this thing. Well, they were right, but they were only about 10 years too early. So after about seven years of losing money on this thing, they decided maybe they got a little bit ahead of themselves. So they had to shut it down. So there's something to be learned there. So, I mean, you got to you got to look at the trends. You got to see what's coming. Yeah. But you don't have to be you don't have to be first in to make yeah, yeah. money. You can you can be third in and probably still be OK. You just right. got to get. You got to work on the time. And like uh, right now with what we did, we but this company was in the was in the IR space and, and really the digital side of things. And I decided if you're going to build content, you might as well optimize the content. And yep. at the time, it didn't really, you know, a lot of our competitors could not figure out why we're in the SEO business. Now, every last one of our people out there. Right. So now you got to optimize this content and optimize that content. That's right. good time. But that's a lot of what the, if you listen to the customers, they'll tell you what they need. Then you got to go figure out 
how do I manifest that? Right. If you just if you just sit in your office thinking about, oh, what's the future going to bring? You can get yourself into a digital TV situation pretty quick. Totally agree. You were nice enough to answer four questions uh, for us. So we asked you four questions. We said, look, Don. Tell us what percentage of your revenue you expect, you know, is going to come from an existing customer, an existing geography, an existing good or service, an existing business model, right? right. Your, your, current, your current practices. Uh, classically, when you look at that, these are, and we're growing, we're, we're only focused on the revenue line of the profit equation, right? So this is just sales at this point. What you see is if we just use customers and products and services, which is kind of the classic two by two, you'd look at sources of revenue from, you got, you got about 60% of your revenue coming from existing goods and services and existing customers. You've got, you know, roughly what, uh, 20% here uh, coming from that same customer set that's going to get something new from you. Trust, they trust you. You've got good relationships. They're going to migrate to the next product offering that you have. Uh, you've got new customers you're going to acquire. Uh, that's about 16% by by your stated goal. Uh, that'll that'll be just growing new customers, adding to your book of business. And then you have this, this pure innovation, right? Sort of new customers, new services. You're going to disrupt the market. You're going to attract entirely new offerings for y'all. That's that's about 5.2%. We color coded them uh, because, you know, as you as you think through the level of investment in growth strategies, uh, it's always surprising, I think, for people to realize how much they make from just their base. You know, just like we don't have to do anything extraordinary. We don't have to be magical in the market. We just have to do what we do, which is which right. is really this bottom line. So, you know, you got you got basically 80 percent of your revenue is is going to be coming from sale of existing or new products to existing customers. So this is good, but it's hard to grow with. So we added two variables to this. This is our framework. And, you know, I know you've seen this before and, and you know, you've been great about uh, providing some feedback on it. But, you know, what this illustrates is that for you, you know, there are there in, in the framework basically says, you know, there are 16 mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive, nod to McKinsey, right, on Misi, uh, ways that a company can grow. And and they, they're really split out for planning purposes across these four key variables that determine risk and failure in, in our experience, right? And so what, the, what this says is really, Don, like, uh, what, 79% come from four core operations for you. Those are those are going to be like the no brainer investment vehicles. And, yeah, and, you know, so yeah. the, the fun, the nice thing about this tool is you basically take the, the revenue number and you can push it through the percentages and it gives you the sales number, the revenue number. And then when you break this down into strategies and tactics and things you can measure who, what, where, when, how that gives you the cost line. So you can actually proxy uh, profitability by investment area, which is which is really powerful as you're thinking about planning for growth. So for us, you know, the the 80 percent, that's the no brainer, the 14 percent uh, to get to your goal. Those are those are ones that, you know, you're going to have to think through. So, Don, let's say you, you, you agree that most of your most of your work is coming from existing okay. customers. Right. The new geography, see, the new geography thing is kind of interesting uh, for me. One in four geographic expansions uh, succeeds, according to uh, Frost and Sullivan data. And yep. this is a, this is a major fail point. Now, I, I do believe and I would agree with you that in the services world, that's that metric probably is very uh, shifty. I don't I don't know if it's true. And, and especially as we live in this post COVID world of virtualization. My experience has been the only the time that works the best is if you have a client to take you in. So if a client says, 
Don, I need an office in Beijing or Singapore. Can you can you open an office if I if I make sure I give you enough work to justify it? That's right. when you that's when you think about it. So in your plan, there's going to be some component of that. That ninety ten. You know, if we yeah. if I were consulting to you, I might arm wrestle with you whether that was real or not. Uh, it's it's just going to be sort of organic kind of kind of. Half stance. The new the new offering in your world, I, I frankly was a little surprised that wasn't a higher number, especially after our discussion where you your offerings are are really in the software and services layer, which are pretty quick cycle times to develop. Uh, and then, you know, the exit cost is minimal, right? Like if you unless it's a major platform investment that you're making to get out of those, or that's pretty straightforward. And then, you know, your existing model really works. Uh, I, you know, it's a, it's already a disruptive model. So, so that, that sort of seems to make an awful lot of sense. What this tells me is this regionally focused new product development is a bad bet for you. It's a bad thing to do. You don't want to go to, you know, Columbia and build a unique SEO uh, capability for that for that customer set because the payoff isn't what you're you're sort of expecting. No, no digital TV for me, right? No digital TV for you. That's right. So 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 what's nice about this tool is of the 16 ways you could grow, we flunk eight of them as yep. being red herrings. And then the and then the the yellow uh, the you know the modest returns, right? The 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 greater than two percent, less than five percent is kind of the rule set we used here. You know you you'll fund these, but only only with an eye towards evolution. So, you know, so so I, I kind of dig this idea of of evolving the business model, right? What's the next generation of, I don't know, what, what's it? The, I call it the Hotel California, right? Easy to get in, hard to get out kind of model. Anyway, Dom, we, we, we calculated this for you. I have yeah. a couple of questions, though. Can you tell me, like... Uh... How do I how would I use this in looking at let's say a make versus buy like an acquisition? Do I want to move into a either a new product or well not necessarily a new geography but let's say a new product? Do I go build it or do I buy it? I'd be curious about how your model addresses what we just talked about, which is uh, recurring revenue streams versus project revenue streams. And so if you could maybe you could help me with that one too. Yeah. So the so the piece that follows this from a process standpoint that we do is is strategy development, uh, strategy and tactic development, and then financial modeling. And those are those are two pieces that would like this tool would be useful for saying yes, I want to do an, a new product offering, and then the the build buy would be a, a subsequent step to this. I see. Okay. But what would drive that analysis, I think. Don, is that you'll have revenue goals, uh, the new offering uh, using the existing market. So expand portfolio of offering to existing customer. You know, that's 9% of your of your revenues. You know, if your goal is 100 million in growth, you know, 9 million of that is what your return is going to be for the new product. So if, so if your new product return is 9 million bucks, that gives you a, a metric to bounce cost off of to see okay. what the profitability is going to look like. If it costs you, you know, 30 million to buy the new company that has a new product, then it probably doesn't make an awful lot of sense if you can organically build it for 500,000 given the sort of the risk of, uh, you know, cultural integration and and rebranding and, you know, all the kind of stuff that, that goes along on the execution front. But that's how we would use it for that. And with respect to how do I consider 
recurring revenue versus new revenue, because you do both, all of those would, you know, you, you, that would fall under your existing model. So we would, we wouldn't normally when we say a new model, it's coming up with something disruptive. So yeah. example, you do, you do recurring revenue streams as a service, but what if you did performance-based contracting where if your yeah. SEO optimization keeps you on the front page of Google, you get a 30% kicker. And if it keeps you below the fifth page, you lose 20% of your contract price. That would be a new model that you'd have yeah. to model and see see what it was worth. All right. Any final sort of just thoughts on growth? Philosophies, thoughts, things we didn't cover? If there are people who are new to this, your model, because I have had some exposure to it, is outstanding. It's a logical way to think about this stuff. And, and, it's, a, and it's a way to, if you if you even remotely good with numbers, it's a way to think about, you know, how you should go about doing this. And so I found it very useful early, you know, when I started playing around with it to think about yeah. how that can manifest itself. And then people like me, it's a good way to communicate your thinking as a in, in a logical way. So, you know, like you said, there's eight eight scenarios right there that don't make any sense. So, you know, let's not go down those paths and let's not talk about this or that. Let's focus on the ones that are going to make us some money. And that just reinforces, fortunately, that reinforces a lot of the thinking that I've already got going. And so now right. it's getting everybody around those around those eight ideas instead of some harebrained ideas that I have to say no to. All right. Well, I'm going to hit I'm going to hit stop here, Don, but I want to I just want to thank you, man. I, you are literally a legend in the business. And uh, I've always appreciated the opportunity to work with you. So All right. uh, well, best of luck with the book. I can't wait to read it. Thanks, Don. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Growing the Top Line. For more information about growth strategies and to learn about our firm, please go to beacongroupconsulting.com. That's B-E-A-C-O-N-G-R-O-U-P consulting.com. And if you're interested in the book Growing the Top Line, it's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble.